We have been advising on asset allocation for nearly two decades, and our DNA has historically been alternatives for our large pension fund clients. But over the last, I'd say, five years, we saw a real need to bring a private credit solution to the high net worth channel. Welcome to the Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Bruce Tyson. I'm a partner at Morton Wealth. And with me today is Fran Byers. You've flown in from Chicago or New York? New York. New York. Uh, Fran is head of the Cliffwater Capital Markets Group, and she's the portfolio manager for the Cliffwater Corporate Lending Fund. It's an integral part of our portfolios, so uh, it'd be good to get to know what she's got to say. It's been uh, uh, their their investment philosophy dovetails really well with ours. Um, You know, a constant companion in all my years as an advisor is the parade of stories about investors who who uh, swing for the fences and miss, and uh, either through buying stocks that crater, high-flying stocks that crater, or somehow get involved in investment scams, and it's a source of uh, psychic pain for advisors like like uh, those at Morton, where we know that we, we wish that it, investors could know what we know that continuous compounding of returns and minimizing losses is the surest path to success. And so that's why we put on events like this symposia uh, and a chance to uh, offer a continuing education to our clients. You know, when I was a freshman in college, we had an um, aptitude test and my results came back that I should either be a part of the clergy or an educator. So this is, I guess, I'm, uh, this is partly preaching and teaching my destiny is fulfilled. And uh, uh, so anyway, we have uh, Fran here. Uh, The aim of Cliffwater is to provide solid, compoundable returns uh, in any environment. So Fran, let's talk about uh, how Cliffwater is an go-anywhere, all-weather investment. Thank you, Bruce. And sometimes I feel like a nun, too, so I can relate. Um, And I have to say, this is the first conference I've ever been to where there's alcohol throughout the day. And so I fully support drinking. It makes direct lending way more fun to talk about. So I support it. Um, But thank you guys for for having me today. Little background on Cliffwater. We have been advising on asset allocation for nearly two decades. And our DNA has historically been alternatives for our large pension fund clients. But over the last, I'd say, five years, we saw a real need to bring a private credit solution to the high net worth channel, who really didn't have great access to the asset class. And we felt it's all weather, it has really low volatility, and 
these high net worth investors weren't getting the same level of opportunities and that a scaled institutional investor was getting. And so in 2019, we launched Cliffwater Corporate Lending Fund. I spend a lot of my time talking to investors and I have to say, it is really stressful trying to invest your money responsibly in the last couple of years, whether it's been massive macro uncertainty, crazy interest rate movements, there's been a ton of market volatility and it really has not been kind to 60-40 portfolios or equities and bonds. And I'm gonna give you a perfect example. Um, coming into 2023, if you were reading the headlines in the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg, they were saying, 2023 is gonna be the year of the investment grade bond. The assets are generating the highest returns we've seen in 15 years at 7% yields. And these are investment grade borrowers. They're riskless. They're not going to go bad. Well, fast forward to today. If you put your money in investment grade bonds at the beginning of the year, your year to date returns would have been negative three and a half percent as of Monday. And so it's reasons like this that we believe if you're willing to give up a modest amount of liquidity on a modest portion of your portfolio and put it into direct lending, you can do one of three things. First and foremost, you can increase the predictability of your return stream. Direct lending returns tend to be in a very narrow band in that high single digit area year after year, regardless of what's going on in the markets and the economy. Secondly, you can eliminate your interest rate or your duration risk because these are floating rate assets. And then thirdly, direct lending in private markets generates a really nice two to 300 basis point yield premium over public markets. And I know what you're thinking, you're like, oh my God, Fran, this sounds amazing, but I don't believe you. We actually have data and the numbers to back it up. So coming out of the great financial crisis about 10 years ago, we were starting to see institutional investors begin allocating to direct lending. And our CEO, Steve Nesbitt um, at Cliffwater said, we really can't expect investors to invest in this asset class in any meaningful way without a benchmark. And so 10 years ago, we went out, we, bought the, uh, we built the Cliffwater Direct Lending Index. It is now the gold standard in the industry. It was just quoted in the Wall Street Journal this week. And it showed some really compelling data on the return stream of direct lending. It goes back 20 years, and what it shows is that over the last 20 years, every single year the returns were positive, except for one, which was going into 2008 during the great financial crisis. But the returns were only negative by like 6% versus equities, which was down 30, 40%, and bonds, which were down 20%. It outperformed liquid loan markets 19 of 20 years. It outperformed high yield bonds 16 of 20 years. And it only had one year of negative returns versus even investment grade bonds that had at least three to four negative return years in the last couple of years. And so when we launched CCLFX, we wanted to mirror this index and offer broad access to the direct lending asset class in an index-like fund. But we built in a couple of extra protections to make it low volatility. We only do first lien lending, so it's 95% of our portfolio is first lien, which means we have a first claim on the assets if a borrower were to default, as opposed to the index, which has about 20% junior. This creates less volatility in the fund. And then thirdly, we did what every other direct lending, direct lending manager in the space doesn't want to do. We offered low fees. And so we have the lowest fees in the space, and we believe that over time, as the space grows, 
fees should come down, and this is the best way to offer the most consistent return to your investors, and that's keeping your costs low. So this is really an institutional product, and yeah. you normally have a $10 million minimum, but because Morton clients are all grouped as one, everybody qualifies yes. and can, can invest in this that usually only larger institutions can, can take advantage you of. You can put a dollar in it if you really want to. <laughs> um, what um, you have, you select the best managers. Can you go through the selection process? Like how many managers are viewing? I mean, as you, because you are keeping the index, you can see everything. You've got a great overview. How do you pick the, the managers and which, like what's the, what's the size of the universe of managers and then how many of those managers do you wind up actually, as a percentage, do you wind yeah. up using? Yep. So our research on direct lending goes back 10 years. As I was saying, coming out of the GFC, people started to allocating to it. And the entire universe of private credit managers globally is about 330. And of that data set, we chose 25 lending partners to work with in our fund. So how did we get to 25? That's about 7.5% of the market. So what we did is we went out and we ranked all the managers A, B, and C. We don't tell them what their rating is because the Cs <laughs> wouldn't like that, but A, B, and C. The Cs is about two-thirds of the universe that's out there. And our view is they're not institutional grade. We would never recommend them to a client. Of the remaining 100, about 50 are ranked a B and 50 are ranked an A, with A, of course, being the best. So the question is, is what makes you an A? And the answer is, it comes down to your ability to not lose money. Because in direct lending, your upside's limited to just the coupon that the borrowers are paying, but your downside is massive. And so the best lenders in the space have a proven track record of lower losses through time. So what is it that they're doing that's keeping their losses low? We dig through their portfolios. The first thing is they are lending to defensive sectors. They are not plowing their dollars into leisure companies, casinos. We all love casinos, but in a recession, we're not going to casinos, restaurants, consumer companies. They're putting them into software companies, healthcare companies, business services. And these sectors tend to show consistent performance through macro cycles. The second thing we notice from the A's is they have real experienced uh, workout teams. When a loan goes bad, they are showing that they can really extract high recovery dollars on those loans and minimizing losses. They tend to work with the best quality private equity shops. The private equity shops raise a ton of money. You wanna be lending to borrowers and, that are backed by private equity that have tons of money, because if something goes bad, they put the money in to support the company. And then the other thing we notice is the A's have scale. They have brand value. They have the ability to fundraise and they have different industry expertise. They can um, raise different pockets of money. Why is this important? Because if you have scale and you can raise a lot of money, you can move up market. You could do bigger deals. And so those tend to be more resilient. And then the last point is they have all encompassing sophisticated asset management platforms. These are not just five guys with a dog in a Bloomberg terminal in the middle of the city, just like doing their thing. Like these are big, reputable asset managers that have deep bench of talent on their legal teams, their operation teams, they have financing folks. Um, so the, the point is, is we are an evergreen fund. We're in this for the long run. 
We're looking for partners that we can grow with through time, who we recognize can consistently make hundreds and hundreds of loans well through time. Right, so these are mostly middle market loans, right? So you want to define middle market and then talk about uh, maybe how this is different from traditional, from, from like when, when a company gets too big, they can go into the public markets, but then they don't have to have the covenants or they get lower interest rates, right? Yeah. So it's funny, we don't even really say middle market lending anymore because it almost implies this is a cottage industry and this is now a big, sophisticated asset class. And my view is, I mean, I, I follow markets all day long. It is a matter of a year to two years where the direct lending market has surpassed the size of the high yield bond market and the institutional loan market. It's coming and there's nothing stopping it. But um, typically a middle market borrower is 10 million of EBITDA up to 50 million of EBITDA. But what you're seeing now is these direct lenders are getting so large and so scaled that they're able to lend to companies that are 100, 200, 300 million of EBITDA that are even bigger. What, what does that translate to in terms of size of capitalization of a company? Some of these deals we're doing are two, three billion dollars deal size. Um, as a matter of fact, the average EBITDA in our portfolio is 140 million. Th these are not small borrowers. These are very scaled borrowers that have showed a positive success story through their growth. That being said, we do still lend to 10 to $20 million EBITDA companies, but in the direct lending market, they're very high growers and fast growers because private equity shops are buying the high growth companies because they want to make a return. And so what we find is the, qu the quality of the borrowers are far greater than what you're seeing in the public bond markets and the liquid loan markets. Um, people are familiar with traditional bonds and you know, a traditional bond is typically brought to market by an investment bank and they have their set of incentives. And then those are different from, uh, from, the, private, from the direct lending. There's where the direct lenders are sticking with, with the, the loan, right? Talk about that. Yeah. So um, interesting, a couple of things on the high yield bond versus direct lending market because the direct lending market's taking meaningful market share away from the high yield bond market. It shrunk, high yield bond market shrunk about $200 billion in just the last 12 months. The bigger issue right now is the high yield bond market seeing the highest loss rate and the lowest recovery rates we've ever seen. And this comes to your question on alignment. Why are people, why are these bonds when they go bad, is everyone losing so much money? And it's because as an investor, no one has your back when a bond deal goes bad. So how does a high yield bond get done? You've got the investment bank who holds none of the paper, who's structuring the deal and trying to win the deal from the private equity shop. How do they win the deal? They offer the most aggressive terms they can on documentation and terms, because they want to win the deal, but they don't hold any of the deal. Aggressive meaning there are no covenants. Loose, very loose stocks, no covenants. The private equity shop or the, or the middle market bar, the borrower that's taking the bond doesn't really have any loyalty to you, the investor, because they view you as hot money. You're trading in and out of their bond deal every day. So whoever comes to their bond deal at close ain't there next week. So they don't have your back either. And then the mutual fund manager is really managing their inflows and their outflows. And they're, they're the guy you pay the fee to. So they should have your back the most, but at the end of the day, they're managing their redemptions. But at the end of the day, when one of these deals goes poorly, um, it's all about the borrower. They have such a loose stock, they have no covenants, and they've got all these gotcha loopholes. You're talking about the bond market. The bond market. Oh yeah, we didn't get to direct lending yet. Um, but all these gotcha loopholes so they can extract 
whatever value they need, and then it turns out the bond recovers like 10 cents on the dollar or 20 cents on the dollar. The direct lending market is nothing like that. As a matter of fact, the investor is very much the priority. You don't have the investment bank. You have just the private credit manager who's underwriting and structuring the deal, and they're raising money from you, the investor, who you're paying fees to. You're not gonna just write a check to any private credit manager. You're gonna do deep diligence, and you're gonna hold them accountable. And so they wanna structure the deal appropriately because they can't exit the deal. There's no trading out of a direct lending deal. It's illiquid. When I make that loan, I better really love that loan because I'm living with that loan for the next five to seven years. The private equity shop really cares about the manager because no one's trading in and out of his deals, and so he's gonna be very selective about who's in his bank group. He has to live with that bank group for the next five to seven years. And so we're all kind of rowing in the same direction and then just to add to a little bit more alignment in this market, when a private equity shop buys a borrower or buys a company, they're writing a massive equity check, okay? Like, if it's a billion dollar deal, they're putting a $500 million equity check in, they offer that deal to their co-investors, their LPs. So those LPs are investing alongside the private equity shop. The direct lender may give them a $500 million loan and they offer that to their investors. That's us, CCLFX. We partner with these managers. And so we're all in this together. We have alignment. And this is why no matter what the media is going to say or write, that alignment always results in a better outcome in terms of lower losses. So let's say uh, something goes wrong and um, the company needs to maybe put up some more cash. Can you talk about how you re-underwrite a deal when things are going a little sideways? Yeah. So in the direct lending market, we have covenants on these deals. A covenant is basically a financial test that a borrower has to meet every quarter. And it acts as an early warning sign if we start to see deterioration on these borrowers. And we're getting monthly financials. So every time the financials come in, I'm opening them up, I'm going through the MD&A, I'm reading them through, and if I'm not happy, I'm emailing the deal team, I'm emailing the, the management team, and we're getting responses quite quickly. But we have covenants on these deals. And if we're going into some sort of market dislocation or softening in the economy or the company's not doing well, they hit that covenant before anything really bad happens. It brings us back to the negotiating table with the private equity shop and the borrower. Two, two things happen. Number one, we reprice the loan higher. So we get a higher rate of return because we're in a riskier investment now. It's not the same thesis we underwrote a year ago or two years ago. The second thing is for us to negotiate anything and agree to anything, the sponsor has to put money in to basically help that borrower along. And just to give you an example, even in our portfolio, CCLFX, we looked at the, all the amendments we've had through the life of our fund, and two-thirds of the time in our amendments, the sponsor put equity in. So this is a real way to right-size balance sheets and get these borrowers through. Yeah, so we've got time for one more, okay. sort of a double question. But uh, given the rising interest rate environment, you're probably seeing challenges and opportunities. On the challenge side, uh, higher interest rates might impinge the borrower's ability to continue with an interest payment. But on the other side, there are opportunities for because the banks are stepping aside. Okay, interest rates have gone up. Our asset class has benefited the most and it's been at the expense of private equity. Um, it's been great for investors, but it's a double-edged sword because what's great for you guys hasn't been great for the borrower. 
their cash flows are constrained because all their cash flows are now going to paying interest. <laughs> and so um, it's really removing value from the private equity shop who was doing CapEx with the borrower. Maybe they're doing M&A and they kind of have to stop doing a lot of that. They have to conserve their costs so they're paying their interest expense. But we're first lien and we have a claim on those assets if anything goes wrong. So we're in a really good position where the borrower's cutting costs and we're the beneficiary and the investors are the beneficiary. If something goes awry with the economy, the best thing we have right now is private equity is the most flush with capital it's been in our entire history. There's about 1.4 trillion in dry powder in the private equity landscape right now. And so we are seeing them put money in to delever the balance sheets. Or we can have one other tool in our toolkit, which is we can pick some of the loan. Um, so like 8% is cash pay and like a little bit is non-cash pay. Um, but uh, to date, we really haven't had to use that tool. And then in terms of opportunities, um, we're seeing a massive tailwind right now with banks stepping away from the market because of all the onerous regulations of Dodd-Frank and and whatnot, and so um, direct lenders are basically taking huge market share away from the banks, and I don't see that ending anytime soon. Thank you for joining us, and we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.